Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Start Me Up Podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with MSW Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today I'm going to be talking with Frederick Pogue. Frederick is a former political organizer who now works in the entertainment industry. One of the things we're going to be talking about is that the GOP is going broke. Their state parties are going broke because someone is fundraising to pay for his legal bills, and I think you know who that is. We're also going to talk about all the Democratic wins we saw this week, 2024, so much to talk about, but before before we get into it. The Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get a bonus What's Up episode every Tuesday. It's kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and I talk about whatever's on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Now please enjoy my conversation with Frederick Pogue. Welcome to the show, Frederick. Hey, Kimberly. How you doing? I'm good. And okay, so, you know, Bob told me a while back, mm-hmm. and, and of course I forgot it. I should have written it down. But there's a certain, are you comic Fred? Is that what it is? <laughs> so uh, there. So that, that goes back to an old joke that I ripped off from Chris Rock, where he was talking about, like, he, he was talking about his comedy wife versus his real, his real in life. Uh-huh wife and he said my comedy wife is horrible he's like my real wife is great and so i picked up chez and bob from from knoxville and we were driving back it was about an hour and a half to get to the venue and you know i i told them that a, a story and usually a story involving me looking foolish or stupid or <laughs> you know, something self-deprecating is a comedy fred story <laughs> You know, right. and he, and so Ch- it was one of those where Ches would go, "Oh Jesus!" And I'd say, "Well, that was comedy, friend." So I mean, you know, he could be excused. <laughs> so you're comedy, friend. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I had there's real Frederick. You know, that that's the serious guy who's, you know, like when I was organizing, there was real Frederick, and or if I'm you know managing an operation in aviation or writing, it's like there's Frederick. But if I'm out at a social event and, you know, some sort of sitcom event is about to happen. That's comedy, Fred. <laughs> you know, I've got a really quick comedy story, a comedy Kimberly story. Sure. Um, and it was so hugely embarrassing. But I was one time, it was like back and I was probably like, I don't know, 33, something like that. So mm. I used to go to these, I'd say like B plus, A minus Hollywood parties there were mm-hmm. producers, there was money, but it's not like it was a big A players. I did go to a couple of those, but the majority of the parties that I went to, my friend got invited and I just got to go along with her. So anyway, yeah. we went to this party and it's, you know, it's like it would be parties in the hills, not necessarily mm-hmm. Beverly Hills, but just the hills of Los Angeles. And there would, you know, be valet parking and just crazy parties, like so much, so much decadence and fun. And so there was this one party that we went to 
I remember uh, Randy Quaid was there and he was trying to get my attention. And I was like, this is before I even knew his politics. But I was like, oh, my God, this man has to. No, no Randy Quaid. So um, <laughs> anyway, I was wearing this long skirt and a tank top. And I go out onto this patio that was amazing because it had like views of Los Angeles. It was so gorgeous. It was a very kind of like new modern house. And they had these chairs that were in the shape of an egg. And I look okay. at them and I'm just like, no fucking way am I sitting on that until I had a couple of drinks. I'm like, I want to try to sit on that. And the next thing I know, my feet were literally sticking in the air and I was on my back. <laughs> and I'm at this like Hollywood party just laying on the floor. It was so, so that was comedy Kimberly. There's my comedy Kimberly story. There you go. All right. So, all right. Tit for tat. I'll give you a comedy Fred story. Okay. So a uh, buddy of mine. He's an attorney and, you know, his boss has one of the, well, has a timeshare in St. Martin's. And he, he says, Hey, boss is letting me use timeshare. You know, why don't you guys come on down? So it's, so it's a bunch of us from college. I'm single at the time. Uh, my other buddies dating, uh, dating a chick. And so it's, it's like three guys, one girl, we all go down and it's at like a resort. To, so they, they're doing like events for the guests and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and there was, the, the, it was like, they had this beer at the bar, like they, they called it carob and they had like five cent, uh, cups you could buy of this, of Caribbean beer mm-hmm. from like four to five. And we literally met a guy named Norm, right? <laughs> Norm. Yeah. No, yeah, it was like, it was Norm. Norm was our buddy and he would come and drink with us and stay too long. And his wife would come and find him and get mad and have to pull him away. So we were having this mixer that night and I hadn't, I hadn't really like, I think I, I was doing something with uh, my buddy's girlfriend. She wanted to go to this bingo thing and he didn't want to go. He wanted to stay and drink with Norm. <laughs> and so I went and we're going to this mixer and it was an open bar. So I go up to the open bar and I said, and, and the guy who ran the bingo thing was running the bar and we had chatted and he's like, Hey, what's going on, big man. I'm like, Hey, what's up? He says, you want some drinks? I said, yeah, why don't you, I want to double fist it so I don't have to keep bothering you. So why don't you give me a vodka cranberry and a, you know, a Jack and Coke and like, let's make it strong. He's like, you got it, chief. So I had, I, he probably made those double or triple shot. And I, I, so, and, and, and I had, because it's the Caribbean and it's hot probably had three of each in the span oh of like God. 30 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yes, I know. So, and I'm not, and, and I'm like, so I go back out to the dance floor. My buddy, Dave, he and I are both, we're just chilling. He, he's smoking a cigar and I'm like, I'm feeling it. I got a big smile on my face. <laughs> and there's one, there's this woman dancing and she was, she was on her honeymoon. And I guess her husband didn't like to dance. Right. And I'm drunk enough to like start dancing, you know? And so she's waving me over and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know? And as she grabs me, like, I I kid you not, it's like an, an edit of a movie where everything started to school. Like, and I'm, I'm, it's like the vision just starts going blur. I mean, literally like it's one of those movies, like, Hey, cue the drunk, you know? (laughs) And I'm, I'm like, I'm dancing and trying to maintain it together. And another woman dances with me. And then so at about that time, I started going back and forth to the bathroom oh, no. and just vomiting my oh. guts out. <laughs> oh, my right? God. 
And I think I did that about four or five times, oh but I kept going back to dance and <laughs> take little puke breaks, right? That's so gross. <laughs> and then it's at that time, I think on my third trip, you know, <laughs> my buddy just says, he calls me over. He says, hey, Fred, this is the woman that owns the resort. <laughs> Come over and meet her. I was like, okay. So I go over. And I'm like wobbling, and I probably said to her, "It's very nice to meet you." Man. I'm like, "Let that." Yeah, and she says, she looks at me. She's very concerned. She goes, "Are you okay?" I said, "Don't worry, ma'am. I'm a, I'm a former United States Marine. I'll be okay." <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's uh, typically what a comedy friend. Oh story my god, that's is, hilarious! Is like. Oh my god. Yeah, oh, it's usually can, we... something to that. Like, I did something really dumb, not thinking of. I mean. Because I look back on it, my buddies were like, what did you drink? I had vodka cranberries and Jack and Cokes. And, oh and my, my buddy Dave just looked at me as like, you That's... simple, stupid son no, of a no, bitch. You know, I did. I'll just be real quick, and then I want to jump into all the politics. Because, oh, my sure. God, there are so many good things. But when I, you know, I think I was, it was like 41 or something like that. And I had moved back in with my mother um, because mm-hmm. I had moved to Northern California. And it, I wanted to, you know, find my own place and everything. But I was with her. And mm-hmm. it was like, I had just left my job, so I, I didn't have any responsibilities. And I, it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, you know what? I can have a drink, if I, and I'm not a drinker. If I want a drink, I can have a drink. And basically, right. I, I had Jack Daniels, but I didn't know what to pour it in, so I poured it in a cup. And I probably poured like half a cup. And so I drank the half a cup in no mm-hmm. time, and I felt fucking great. And then I was just like, you know what? I want to keep this buzz going. So I probably got another half a cup. And oh my God, I was spinning and I, I had the worst hangover of, hangover of my life. And to this day, I can't look at Jack Daniels. And it's like, that stuff fucks you up, man. <laughs> oh, it <laughs> does. It's, well, it's, that cheap, it's funny. I, I don't know if it's Scotch Irish in me or the Tennessee boy. Cause I, I lived there for a long time. I, w- I was born in Texas, but I, I do not get hung over on you're, whiskey. You're it's lucky. Just, I, I, I will get drunk on whiskey, but yeah. I do not get hung wow. over. But any kind of clear liquor, vodka or tequila, um, like it, the the only other colored liquor I ever got drunk on was uh, Hennessy. Hmm. I don't even. And it have. made me so sick. And to this day, <laughs> I can't like. Oh man! Like I had, I had a, I had a, I had like I don't drink. I, I can't do margaritas because wow, if I get I love if, if I get sick on them, it's yeah. it's over with. Like the whole next day is wrecked. Yeah, pretty much that's what I am with almost any amount of alcohol these days. So I try not to do it, and I haven't had alcohol. I I think the last time I got even tipsy was like in 2016. So, I you know as much as I would love to just down some alcohol and party my ass off, the it's just not worth it. Especially now that I'm 55 years old, it's like oh my god, the 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 hell that I would have to endure in order to feel good again. It just isn't worth it. So. No, no, it's not, girl. I I, I I hated that at 35. I know, me too. But like, now no. that I'm mm-hmm. now that I'm an old lady, um, <laughs> it's everything oh, has no, changed. I, I, I just I'm I'm wise enough and seasoned enough. Yeah, same as you. To know I ain't trying to pay that bill anymore. No, no, it's just too high. It is too high. Uh-huh. Oh my God! Okay, I first of all, I just have to say we need to get into politics because it's oftentimes when I do these shows, it's like, oh my God, I'm scared because of this and I'm scared because of that. Sure. I'm feeling fucking great. Everybody's feeling great right now. We had a good week. We're going to talk about that. But before we get into all the good mm-hmm. stuff, um, you had talked to me offline or not offline, off air, whatever, about mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff that you 
you know, that you're thinking that and, and like specifically the Trump effect on the GOP, which we're going to talk about. But before yep. we start talking about that, um, would you just tell everybody what you used to do in politics and what you're currently doing now for uh, in the entertainment industry? Sure. Uh, so like I'll, I'll go backwards with that. So now what I am is uh, I'm a screenwriter and sort of a producer managing uh, uh, ma production manager. Mm -hmm. And currently I work mostly in the YouTube space. Okay. Uh, I've worked for a lot. I've worked for some big names. Um, I worked for Mr. Bowen on some of his true crime pod. Like I helped launch his true crime podcast. Mm. And I was a production manager for Mr. Beast. Okay. Um, I did some of his videos. Um, so that's, and I'm, tr I'm trying to move over to TV and feature films. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what I used to do when I was in politics and how I met Bob and Chez was I was in grad school in 2012. And what I, I, I was, I remember I was in a class with one of the, you know, our, uh, advisors and he was given the like sort of the rah-rah speech of like you know if you see anything wrong on campus or there's something that you know if you think needs changing don't wait for someone else to do it just kind of jump in and I had been following politics for a while ever since like 03 what kind of got me motivated uh in politics at least following other than just being casually aware was the Iraq war. I, I would, uh, I was in the Marine reserves. I injured my knee and then ultimately I got, I got out of the Marines because of that uh, from a training accident in August of 2000. Uh, I'm sorry, 2000. Yeah. August of 2000. So then, you know, the Iraq, then nine 11 happened, but I had buddies of mine that went over to Iraq and I felt really guilty because I was out and my units deploying, um, my reserve unit and I'm not able to go. Mm -hmm. So I thought for me, it was okay. I've got to stand up and like do what I can do. So, you know, protesting the war, you know, post like just being informed and kind of getting into that headspace to where, and I had a journey to go from that. And I'm sorry if I'm kind of all over the place. Cause I, when I was younger, I was not quite a conservative Christian. I was more like a libertarian like conservative who, who happened to be a Christian. Hmm. Um, I was, you know, a, a John, like what kind of turned me off from the Republican party was what they did to John McCain in mm, South right. Carolina. Yeah. When the Bush campaign put all the stuff out about him fathering a, a black child and all this, and it was a blatant racist attempt. Yeah. And it was just, that really kind of turned me off. But what moved me to, the Democratic Party ultimately was the Iraq War. Hmm. So by the time we get to 2012, yeah, I've never organized before. I've never done anything like that. And I said to myself, you know, man, I love Obama. Like, I want to say when I grow up, like, like years later, I organized for this guy. Mm -hmm. I want to do something. So I started looking around like, what can I do? And on my campus at ETSU, there was the, the college Republicans were massive heavy red area but there were no college democrats hmm. like it just wasn't there and so i said okay well let me see if i can do something with this i work in student activities that was my job as a graduate assistant like let me see what i can do and turned out like 
the charter was already there. It was really easy to get started. So I just said, okay. So I just put out like a thing, Hey, you know, meeting up, like starting college Democrats, you know, and four people showed up to the first meeting and they said, I said, okay, well, who's, we got to select president, vice president. They said, okay, well you started this. So you be president. So I became president in the best way possible. I was just appointed it. Yeah. I didn't run for it. Right, right, right. (laughs) So, um, we started organizing on campus and then I got in touch with the county parties and then one thing led to another and I eventually became the county chairman for the Washington County Democrats and started organizing for 2012. Uh, we were doing deep canvassing like at that time because I had a buddy of mine who was again going to grad school and he was doing his thesis on uh, analytics and so we were studying the county stuff and like looking at the numbers and you know we found out like in Washington County, uh, Tennessee, the the numbers we were kind of shocking. Only thirty five percent of eligible voters actually voted hmm. in any election. Yeah, no, that's sad. Yeah, I mean it was it was, and as you went to like like the city, it was even lower. Hmm. And so we had we had one uh, election in Johnson City, Tennessee, for for uh, city commissioners. Um. And you know, one they would they wouldn't say what party they were, but you could you could kind of tell with a wink and a nod. This yeah. person's Republican, that person's Democrat. I think one lost by ten votes. Wow. And and it was only like a few hundred people that voted out of a city of fifty thousand. And so you know, I'd try to get across to the folks that we would canvass or even kids on campus, and we would say, "Hey, man, this is what separates these city things, mm-hmm. like this county stuff. We're talking." If you got you and your friends in these, and and some of these groups had like hundreds of people, you could you could be a voting block and make a difference, yeah, easily. And at the time, the thing we were kind of that was kind of going around on campus is that that wasn't, you know, because Obama was a known quantity; he wasn't as sexy anymore. Was that was the Ron Paul revolution, right? Yeah. So you had like a bunch of ki- like a bunch of college kids running around like, well, Ron Paul, Ron mm-hmm. Paul, Ron Paul. So that was like tea party ish. If you were a libertarian guy before they latched on to like Elon Musk and eventually yeah. or Trump, it was Ron Paul. Right. Um, so I organized in 2012 with, in conjunction with OFA. And I, after the election, I became the, like I said, the County party, the chairman of the Washington County party. And we organized for 20, I stayed in East Tennessee to organize for 20, uh, 2014. And we just got, shellacked Hmm. um it's the first district like basically the only thing you you could really do was put up uh, a good showing but we did think think we had a shot with uh the state rep and we ended up losing pretty bad like that was a reaction election to 2012 yeah wow and the yeah politics in those red rural states are especially tennessee like or you've seen it now with the tennessee three it's like i it's it's even it's 10 times worse than what it was when i was organizing wow so yeah that's kind of my background is like so i and eventually i kind of i got out of politics because i had a choice of like well i could try to take my bona fides and move up to dc and and but if you get into that life you're you're pretty much almost like on deployment you're going from election to election to election yeah and i didn't really want to want to do that um I was going to be a security analyst for the Department of the Navy, and my job got cut due to sequestration. 
with Obama and Boehner and all that. Mm-hmm. So my job was just on wow. hold forever. And I was working for aviation. I was working for uh, Piedmont Airlines, which was U.S. Airways at the time, eventually became American Airlines. And one thing led to another, and I ended up becoming an operations department head in that industry. I worked in DCA, so Washington, D.C., uh, Philly, Detroit, and L.A. And L.A. is like I went to L.A. specifically to transition to entertainment. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was brought to LA by my mother, but I still found the entertainment industry. So it just seems to kind of go like that. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's, you know, that's not the reason you go to LA, but it sure is one of them. Yeah, definitely. You know? Okay. We have to take a break, but we will be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly, the host of the show you're listening to right now. If you'd like to support this independent podcast, please visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Take a look at the different tiers and support the Start Me Up podcast. Thanks so much. Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Aaron Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I want to talk about, you. Would, we talked about, like I said, off mic about the Trump effect Mm -hmm. on the GOP. So I really want to get into this right now because you say, you know, one of the things that you sent to me, it says why the Mm -hmm. GOP is shrinking and the Democrats are growing. So I want to get into this. And I specifically want to focus on the fact that right now um, Donald Trump is on trial and the goal is to figure out how much money he's going to have to owe. That's the whole Mm -hmm. point of this trial that he's on right now. And he's pissing off the judge and he's acting. I mean, it's crazy. They were, the other day, it was as if he was at a political rally and he was doing mm-hmm. everything possible to hurt himself. It was so crazy. So we know that by the end of this trial, he's going to owe a certain amount of money. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's going to be pretty sizable. It's going to be in you know addition to whatever his legal fees and all the other legal uh, whatever he has to pay anywhere else. And we mm-hmm. know he's fundraising. And we know that that fundraising money maybe should be going to the GOP. So this is where I'm going to hand it over to you. And I want you to tell us um, what is the Trump effect on the GOP? Sure. Okay. So the Trump effect on the GOP, uh, I'll stay away from like why Trump is doing all this stuff that he, I mean, really in in a nutshell, it's, it's to play to his base. He knows he's going to lose. So um, I mean, maybe like subconsciously he does. Mm -hmm. Right, but here's right. <laughs> so here's here's the here's the Trump effect on the GOP is we've already we and th- thankfully this week we have no better example than what happened to the Republicans and Yunkin mm-hmm. in Virginia. And I'll I'll get to that in just a second. So the GOP is an organ it's an organization like anything else, right? They're they're pushed they have the thing about politics is ideology plays a massive role, it plays in identity. Yeah. It plays it in motivating voters, all of that. And it, it's, and as you're, as you know, we're feeling as Democrats, we're feeling pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. Right. 
if the election were like two or three weeks away, we'd be doing fantastic yeah, because exactly. we got the momentum. <laughs> you know, I mean, you see it in sports, you see it. It's right. just, we're like, yeah. And, and I mean, Republicans are just still tr- scratching their heads, figuring out why did they lose? All of that takes, especially being behind the scenes, is money and people power, mm-hmm. right? A lot of this people power is through volunteers. And so here's, here's, here's the issue with money that's happening. When the GOP handed over the reins of their financial operation to Trump, it was the worst thing they possibly could have ever done. <laughs> because – and you're seeing it. You saw yeah. it with McCarthy. You saw it with Matt Gates, right? Yeah. Matt – I mean think about this with the Hastert rule which was whatever the president wants you pass it like there's there's an, an, an there's no better story that illustrates that than Arlen Specter. And so for those of you who aren't familiar, Obama wins in 08. Arlen Specter is a Republican in Pennsylvania. He's one of those more establishment Republicans like the institutionalists, you know, like kind of small C conservative, like moderate like that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. In the Republican Party, and so he switches. He he's technically the 60th vote. Everyone likes to say it's Lieberman, and mm-hmm. no, it was Specter. If we didn't get him, we don't have 60 votes. Mm-hmm. So he's he's been a Republican his whole political life, and he's been in Congress a long time. He's got his. The reason he could do that is he has this political machine for himself in Pennsylvania. So he goes to it. He writes about this after he retired. Goes to his first meeting. For the Democrats, ACA is now up in the Senate for them to vote on, right? It's passed the House under Pelosi. She's gotten it with the public option, everything the president wanted. Arlen's in there with these with these Democratic senators. He's sitting down and he goes, "Okay, how are we going to pass this thing?" What he's asking is the mechanics of it, like procedurally, how do we do it? How do we stop? Because he's He's a Republican. He's mm-hmm. used to them. This is what the president wants. This is what we pass. I think as either Bob Nelson or Ben Nelson from Nebraska stands up and says, well, I don't know if I'm going to vote for this. And Evan Bayh of Indiana, you know, another blue dog Democrat. Oh, I, yeah, I don't think I could vote for this as is with public option. And he was stunned that this is how they're talking, that they're not – the signature accomplishment of a Democratic president, they're not going to vote for it. Mm-hmm stunned right and that's because the gop if you went against the party you were punished yeah you matt gates would not be able to pull what he did because what they would do and you kind of saw this with what happened to cindy mccain in arizona Mm -hmm. when they censured her that was some like light stuff but what they used to do is they would go to the state party and say, we're not giving any money or any resources to Matt Gates. He's done. He's doing this to McCarthy done. Mm-hmm. That's actually what happened to my rep. Uh, Cause I live in Ken Buck's district and there's a reason that he's not running again. And yeah, you know, he can say it's for principles all he wants, but honestly, I think it's because he pissed, he pissed on McCarthy. Yeah. Wow. And he's not in with the MAGA crowd because yeah. he's not an election denier. Huh. So McCarthy turned off the spigot because he's the big donor now, right? Because there's no apparatus in the RNC because that's Trump. 
to divvy this out. Like, like the RNC would be the one divvying this out, mm -hmm. the money. But you're not seeing that anymore because Trump keeps most of it for himself. I think he keeps like <laughs> – it's something ridiculous. Like I think it's almost like 80% or more. Wow. So the reason you're seeing all the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, all these people acting out is – yeah, some of them – I would probably believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is – probably nuts and really <laughs> believes most of the stuff she says. I mm -hmm. think she's a true believer, mm -hmm. but like Lauren Boebert's a grifter. Right. Like just, you look at her history, she's a grifter. Mm -hmm. They do this because that's the way to get noticed and get money because mm -hmm. they're not getting it from the RNC. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. And I mean, Lauren Boebert just, if man, I, I swear, I've never seen a, a politician <laughs> do more to try to kill their own career than that woman. <laughs> I I haven't. I mean, my God, like forget the, the handsy thing and right. the Beetlejuice. They've got her on video when they elected Mike Johnson. She's high-fiving George Santos. Wow. Wow. Yeah, she's like, an what? idiot. Are you serious? <laughs> like, I mean, if I'm her Democratic opponent, I'm mm -hmm. like, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. Like, boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean – and oh, and girl, it's like you only won by 500 votes. Oh, something uh -huh. ridiculous. I mean, so low. It's like you're on thin ice as it is. I think so. And you're going to try to do this in a presidential election when <laughs> with all this on the line. But that I mean, but that's that's one aspect of right, it is yeah. the money. Right. And so here's the other problem, though. You could come back and say to me, well, Fred, you know, you could have these. Republican donors and all these billionaires like donate to the PACs and they could step in with an infusion of cash and they could sidestep the RNC. But here's the problem with that. Let's go to Virginia, mm -hmm. right? And I've got friends that are organizing in there. I've had, you know, like some of them work in the Fairfax County. So one of the bigger Democratic machines in the state. Mm -hmm. And I, they were organizing for it was the 21 election when Yunkin won. Mm -hmm. And so they were poll watching, poll working, uh, and they were talking to a Republican. You know, and they, they kind of knew each other, and it was one of those – like you kind of get to know people if you do it enough on the other side, and it's mm -hmm. more of like on that level kind of collegiate, you know? Yeah. Or like – and, you know, they were asking them. They said, hey, how, like, you know, how's how's the Yunkin campaign doing? Oh, man, it's great. It's like a weld machine there. You know, they're turning out voters. They've got all this. And, and it's true. Like, Yunkin built up mm -hmm. a really great personal machine, you know? Yeah. And he they dumped in, I think, to his personal pack, $12 million. Wow. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot. Like, because um, for – it used to be, even in the rural districts, if you were running a, a congressional campaign, your minimum threshold – I mean, we're talking in the most rural district there. You like in the first district, East Tennessee, where Phil Rowe was mm -hmm. at the time, you need at least a minimum of a million dollars. Hmm. Minimum. Right. Right. To really run it the right way and try to turn out the votes and what are, everything you need. So 12 million for a state, legis state legislature races with no governorships, judges president nothing at the federal level it's all state it's just that is an obscene amount of money yeah. obscene right <laughs> with his organization and the money they dumped in 
and the shenanigans they were trying to pull, right, with dumping voters off the rolls, all of that. And he already had one of one of the uh, ha- like one of the branches of the legislature, right? He already had one of the houses. He should have walked away with that as it went, like mm-hmm. that. You know, we were we were on the back foot in that one. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, you know the old the old joke like is that you know uh, Tom Nichols has repeated this is like he he said in an interview like he didn't like Democrats back when because. They only showed up for presidential elections and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so we should have got our clocks clean. But what happened was Youngkin did two things. He made it about himself mm-hmm. rather than the people of Virginia. And he floated that 15-week abortion ban. <laughs> yeah. And got creamed. Mm-hmm. So much so he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to run in 2024. <laughs> so this – you know, this MAGA light, you know, this mm-hmm. diet MAGA guy that the big donors wanted is not going to run. It's and no. I bring that up is because what you need for those kind of operations on a precinct level, get out the vote operations. You need not only cash, but you're going to need volunteers. Mm. You're going to need coordinators. Yeah. You're going to need precinct captains. You're going to need right. all these That's people. Money. Yeah to make sure that that happens. I am some, and, and, and I would love to do a deep dive, you know, and I'll be asking my friends that are in Virginia about this. That did not happen on the Republican side. No. At all. I mean, I mean, it's, we, and we, and we almost won even more races. There were a lot that were really close yeah. that we, if this were a presidential election, we might've pulled out. It's so, just unbelievable. I mean, it's like you look at what won the night, and basically it was abortion and marijuana. And yep. with abortion, the thing is, is that they're never going. I mean, we saw a lot. I did not watch, and I will not watch the Republican debates because I like to preserve some of my brain and um, some of my sanity. So I just get the clips in the morning. So, of course, what I heard was Tim Scott was like, yeah, we're going to do the 15 week abortion ban nationally. And so this tells us a couple things. Number one, it tells us that this whole argument that they had, that it should be left up to the states is bullshit. They just want to do a national abortion (laughs) ban. And we already know that. And no matter what happens with abortion, they will always fundraise off of it, whether it's legal or not legal or whatever. They're always going to fundraise off the fear of it, the fear of Democrats doing whatever. And they just Mm -hmm. make shit up and lie. But I think with the other thing that I'm seeing with abortion, and you know, I was talking with Bob about this last night, they are not going to be able, the Republicans are not going to be able to talk about abortion in any kind of a way that's going to win them over with specifically anyone who can get pregnant. Because if you, if you know, if you're a young woman and you're living in a red state, if you, you if you haven't been fully indoctrinated into, you know, the conservative world, then you're going to, and maybe even if you have, you know, if somebody rapes you, you mm-hmm. are forced to carry that rapist child. And unfortunately, I don't know how many states uh, do it now. At one time, there, I think there was about 31 states, and I don't know if there are fewer. I think there were fewer. But there are laws that, you know, give rapists um, all kinds of access to the kids. They, you know, they can even get um, child support. So aside from visitation and all of that, they can actually be paid by the mother. 
And so wow. it, it's really horrifying. So I think, you know, the, the Republicans are in a really tough spot specifically with abortion because they have to please the evangelical money. If they, They're not going to get money from evangelicals if they start saying, hey, you know, we understand the pro-choice crowd and, you know, we get you and we hear you. Because a lot of Republicans are pro-choice. They just won't admit it. They say they're pro-life, but then they want to have an abortion. And I was, I think it was, I think I was listening to the Feminist Buzzkills podcast. I'm not sure where I heard mm-hmm. this, but, um, you know, the Republicans that will literally stand outside of abortion clinics and, and you know, hold up the, the, the abortion porn and all that. They'll go get abortions and they'll say, well, this is different. It's different because it's me. That's why it's different. And so, but these these young people in these red states know, hey, look, if I if I'm you know raped, I'll be for and I get pregnant, I'll be forced to carry that rapist baby, and I might have to even pay that rapist. And so people are like, whether they're young people or not, are saying, okay, no, I can't do this. And so I I'm really excited because I mean, it's not to say that we are in the clear, absolutely not. But I think Tuesday did a fabulous job of showing us, look, look what we've got. There is so much reason to be optimistic. And that doesn't mean we make the assumption that we're going to win because that could lead to complacency and not doing anything. We always have to be mindful, obviously. You know, as Bob says, don't get happy, but do the (laughs) fucking work. And and we are doing the work. And young people are showing up. And women of color are always, always the ones, you know, making sure that democracy is saved. And so, uh, and then that just... You know, I just have to I just have to throw the Tim Scott, you know, because he was on last night talking about how we have to have abortion ban. But evidently he uh, carted out his girlfriend that he met in Niagara Falls and you don't you wouldn't know her, but it's his girlfriend. <laughs> it's like, yeah, OK, because for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know this until recently, he's a virgin. Oh, and, God. Yeah. And he's like a self-admitted virgin. So it's like he's got this girlfriend that he went and met in wink, wink, Niagara Falls or Canada right. or whatever. And so yeah. I, just, I just thought that was hysterical. He's a, I, he's a virgin like Lindsey Graham. Is virgin, <laughs> exactly. <probably>. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. I'm really thinking that I was talking with my mom this morning. and I talked to her every morning. She's extremely political and she's convinced and she is not a Pollyanna at all there. I mean, she gets scared like the rest of us, but she's convinced that the Democrats are going to have full control in 2024. Are you feeling at this point that that's a possibility? It is. And um, so I want to provide I want to provide some context for folks. Right. Um, Of what. Of of what we're actually seeing, like what, because I know because I made this claim, Democrats are ascendant, Mm -hmm. you know, Republicans are on the downslope. Yeah. And touching on your point with abortion. So first, I want to tell you a joke uh, about Mm -hmm. Southern hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. Right. It's an old, great religious southern joke right catholics do not like recognize protestant church martin luther right Mm -hmm. protestants do not recognize the apocrypha in the catholic bible and baptists do not recognize each other in the liquor store (laughs) so that's the thing the whole the whole thing about yes the abortion clinic right that's the hypocrisy yeah right and you know well we got to have a dry county. Let me have a nip of this shine that I got off of my, you know, my cousin. It's an outlaw, <laughs> right? So when I took over the Washington County Democratic Party, 
the the man I replaced, his name was Walter Buford. He was a, I think he was in his sixties, this black man, right? And he was telling me about all the stuff that I had to, you know, catch me up to speed. Great guy, like really smart, politically engaged. Lived in uh, East Tennessee all his life. And he said to me, this is the Ron Paul stuff's going on. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, the thing that bothers me with all these youngsters running around supporting this stuff is they don't understand what it was like before because they've never lived in that world, right? I lived in a world where it was segregated. You know, he'd gone to visit family in the Deep South. So he ended like, I learned about what the Green Book was from him. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was a fact at that time. Hmm. You know, he's he says, I remember when he lived in a uh, county, I think it was uh, Johnson County at the time. He says, before they got the county clinic, what it was like. Before we got all the paved roads back in the holler. He's like, I remember what that was like mm -hmm. before federal money came in and and made life better. And I think what's – and the, the frustrating thing that for me was always for years, you're saying, hey, man, what these guys are doing, this is – this is we're, we're going on – we're going to fascism. This is slicing the, the salami. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you're just being – you're being a Pollyanna. You're being blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who aren't familiar with – so the term slicing the salami, it refers to um, – the communists taking over Hungary. Mm -hmm. And what they mean by that is like, so salami comes in basically like, you know, big, basically a big tube or it's one long thing. If you go to cut it all, like if, if you were to cut a big chunk of it off, you're going to see it right away. Right. But if you slice it thin, you know, a little bit at a time, mm -hmm. you won't notice it as fast. And by the time you do, it's too, it's too late. Yeah. And that's kind of what they've been doing with abortion in Roe v. Wade for 50 years. Yeah, they wanted to make their bones off of it and fundraise off of it. Oh, let's restrict it to this. And, and oh, let's, you know, let's, oh, we'll only have one health clinic open. Oh, we'll do this and we'll do this. But what happened, what's happened now is the dogs finally caught the car. Hmm. And I find it so funny that, that Trump is just attacked. Like, attacking Mitch McConnell who won his seat for re-election by like something I've seen by like 20 points. Yeah. Oh, you know, Daniel Cameron didn't win because, you know, because of McConnell, it's like, and I got rid of Roe v. Wade, man, McConnell did way more than you'll ever do <laughs> to set that up for Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. to get booted. Yeah. He's the one that like, he deserves the credit. Let's, let's, I mean, I love it for Trump. Keep saying it. Cause I want the ads. But let's let's give the man credit who did it, and that was Mitch McConnell, um, with the courts. But what's happened is we've reached this point that's un that's unprecedented in the modern era, where they've rolled back something people thought would always be there. Mm -hmm. Right. They've exactly. rolled it. They took it. They rolled it back, and it's it was a wake up call. Whereas oh. The what? Because what you've done is you've crossed from oh that's a that's a poor person's initiative. We let's snap benefits. We don't care about that. Or oh well, that's for that's for minorities. That's not for us. No, like suburban women, white women's daughters, affluent people can be 
wait a minute, my daughter could die of septic shock mm-hmm. because something goes wrong with pregnancy. Yeah. Exactly. Like, wait a minute, if she has an indiscretion and I go to a blue state to get an abortion because I got money to do that. Right. If somebody's mad at me, they I could come back and be put in jail. Mm-hmm. What? That's that's where the freakouts come in. Yeah. Right. And rightly so, because you've rolled it back. You've rolled back a right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that, that's the that is such a big point because it's it's aside from you know, imposing certain kinds of laws that are oppressive or whatever, you're, you're taking rights away. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I used to live in communist Russia. I lived there for a year because my dad worked for ABC News. Those people always experienced oppression and they didn't have rights that were taken away. That's kind of, I don't want to say the difference is not the difference, but it's a huge difference between Mm -hmm. that group of people who are used to being oppressed so they're not necessarily used to fighting against it and and they didn't have a country where they could you know because they could go vote but their vote means nothing but over here yeah at least while there our vote still does mean something i i think it's absolutely fascinating even though it's very uncomfortable to watch what's playing out and I mean, I've, you know, I've heard the theory and I agree with it that the GOP is kind of, I even had a dream about it. I had a dream that the GOP <laughs> was dying back in 2015 and it was a crazy ass dream, but it's basically happening. And I think it's their death rattle. I think they're doing everything they can at this point because they on some level know that they're, I mean, they're saying it out loud now. They're, they're calling their party losers. I mean, Vivek said it last night and, you know, we're yeah. seeing it from everywhere. So they recognize that they're losing. And of course, they're, you know, I, th- I saw somebody on Fox News. God, I can't remember who it was. I think I know it was um, Santorum. And he said, yes. Frothy Santorum said something like, um, yeah, the kids are voting for abortions and pot. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, they are. So you can go fuck yourself with that because. We want to be able to have bodily autonomy, and if we want to get stoned, we can get stoned. And people get stoned with alcohol all the fucking time. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> what? God, it doesn't give you liver damage. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's so great for your lungs, but there's edibles. So, you know, ultimately, young people, women, progressive people in this country are saying, okay, no more. And this is what I'm really excited about, because I think as we head into 2024, I know it's going to be an uncomfortable year because we're going to see... Such, I mean, I, I think whatever we've seen now, it's only going to get worse, except for the fact that as the year, I mean, we're going to see that crazy ass Trump trial in Georgia. That's going to be mm-hmm. insane. And I think that's going to be exciting for Democrats to watch, even if it's, you know, I don't know. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We can't make any assumptions, but we can absolutely like anticipate that it's going to be a fucking crazy show and it's not going to help Trump no matter what. It's not going to help him. And so I think we're going to see the GOP acting more and more extreme and turning off more and more voters. And then election day is going to come and I'm going to want to like take a lot of drugs so I can just wake up and say, Oh, it's us. We still have democracy. Cause Oh my God, I hate election day now. I just want to be sedated. <laughs> I, well, I hear, maybe, maybe this will help you. Okay. So I think, I think what, what gets, what gets people rattled is, the stakes are really high. Yes. Very. They're really, they're really high, but you got like, let's, but let's pull back a little bit. Let's focus on the stakes and the context, right? 
Because if you just focus on the stakes, you think like, oh my God, you know, know. the GOP, they're coming like the Nazis and they're going to steamroll us. And then if this happens and this happens, okay, like pull back for the context. Mm -hmm. Like you just mentioned, this is a death rattle, right? It may be like, I think, I think we'll have this, like this party around, it'll be fractured, but it'll Mm -hmm. probably be around for like another 10, 15 years, but it's on the decline. Yes. And here's why I think that. 1972, 90% of Americans sur- like surveyed uh, said they were Christian. Mm-hmm. That's less than 50% now. Wow. So people that identify with evangelicals, depending on the poll you look at, is between 4 and 6%. Mm-hmm. So wow. a guy like Mike Johnson, Mike Mike Johnson, the whole reason we didn't know a lot about him, he's never had an opponent. Right. right. He's, he's run unopposed. He's never been vetted, right? <laughs> and so but so when people hear this stuff now, like, dear God, that's what you believe in? Yeah. Like you got an <laughs> exactly. app that check you and your son talk about you check <laughs> each other porn. whether you're looking at porn Fucking or not. Crazy. Like, dude, what are you doing? So <laughs> What's his son what's that he his son that he adopted when he was right, twenty one is <laughs> the son was fourteen and he was twenty one so that's kind of right like, I mean oh my good yeah so <laughs> you you look at this and you're, you're saying you're saying to this is like and the other part of this is don't this is this is what it, what's happened is as a movement starts to experience death mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Whether that's for cultural reasons or, you know, it just like economic shifts, you name it. Especially when it's a religious order, right? They become more radicalized. Yeah. That's what you're seeing. What, like, one of the things that I remember, because I, I came up in the church when I, I grew up in Hawaii when I was a kid uh, from about six to 11 years old. I went to church in Hawaii. It was technically Southern Baptist. And my dad used to always say, that's not Southern Baptist. And he was right. My pastor was a Buddhist, a former Buddhist. And we, the lessons that I got taught were more along the lines of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. I was taught to be, if you're a Christian, you lead by example, that you have love and respect for everyone, right? Because how are you going to get someone to come in you know, if you're, if you're not leading by example, right? Well, what they're preaching now is if they're not already with this church, then, and they're not, they don't have the same faith then you don't need to associate with them. It's against it. It's, but that's antithetical to Jesus. I mean, you have people saying like pastors saying Jesus is too woke. <laughs> right. Oh I mean, that's crazy. If that's the word of God, right. and you're, you're God essentially saying woke, the word yeah. of God is too woke. Yeah. That's you have, crazy. and I love when they quote the founding fathers. It's like one of them who was religious. I mean, Jefferson, who had the Jeffersonian Bible and cut out all the miracles. Uh, Madison talks about the charity of Christianity. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you saw one of these me- like these mega churches talking about you need to give money? We're having this homeless drive. We're pushing for this, you know, for the government to do more. Like. You don't see that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all prosperity gospel and exclusionary. Yeah. Who is that going to appeal to? 
you you by definition you have a movement right it's just dying that is exclusionary because they've become authoritarian fascist whatever you want to name them they've become extremist Mm -hmm. and by definition anything authoritarian or fascist keeps becoming more exclusionary because they have to have enemies to fight Mm -hmm. so you're seeing a movement that has no place for lgbtq that has no place for women that has no place for minorities like as a group they don't for people of other religions for immigrants you know they 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 don't even have place they're getting to a point where they don't even have a place for the teachings of jesus yeah yeah what you what you do for the least of me you do for me they don't have a place for that wow so that's you cannot have a national organization and that will appeal to a large swath of people uh, large enough to win elections and i loved it when they were in in ohio the speaker said you know when they passed the they enshrined it in their state's constitution which i love which a man we need to see more of that like let's let's get it on the ballot let's get abortion you know that choice body autonomy as much as we can because rick said to him he was half right I loved when he said it. He's like, oh, they just turned out because it's sexy. Right? Yes, civil <laughs> exactly. rights are sexy. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Like, I love it. You are absolutely right. Yeah. You know, that's why they turned out because we had on our ballot, which was a school board thing, Prop HH, which was, you know, oh, we're going to lower taxes, but we're going to take money from this other fund and fund teachers. So the Democrats supported it because we want to fund teachers. And it got it got killed by like 67% because the people were like, nah, you need to do it separately and make it a clean uh, thing for lowering property taxes. There's nothing sexy about that. <laughs> that's an account. Exactly. That's like, hey, kids, we're going to do accounting. Isn't <laughs> I know, it really? fun? Woo-hoo. I love it. <laughs> Ain't nothing sexy about that. No. But you talk about, oh, wait, you're taking away body autonomy? Mm-hmm. And it's I, like when I would talk to young men about this and, you know, because, of course, as young men, we're not taught anything about women. Like, you know, we're like Hank Hill. It's like, man, we can't go down aisle eight. That's where they got them Tampex and stuff. I ain't trying to do that, <laughs> you know. So you talk to them about abortion and the mindset is whether women should be allowed to do this or that. Mm-hmm. Right. And you get mired down in that. I say, no, no, that's not how you look at it. No. How you look at it is they're telling an American citizen, mm-hmm. what they can do with their body. And if they can do that to them, what's to stop boss man from coming for you and telling you what you have to do with your body? Yeah, exactly. They're the first line. You got to look at them, LGBTQ, trans people, women with a, with a body autonomy. That's the first line of defense. You let them fall. They're, they're coming for you next. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so, I think I do think that that message is kind of reaching, especially mm-hmm. reaching young people. Because I saw, you know, I mean, there's four things that that I think young people are really, really excited about voting for, and that's bodily autonomy. Um, they want to be safe when they go to school, so guns. Mm-hmm. I think that we could actually pass an assault uh, weapons ban if if we get full control. I think I think that could happen. And then um, obviously the climate. What is the other one? There's bodily autonomy on. Oh, and then school, the school debt. Yep. So those four things are directly 
I mean, it, it, it's like I, I was telling Bob the other night, I've never had an abortion, but there were a few times in my life where I thought I might be pregnant and there was no way in hell I was going to have a kid under the circumstances that I was living at that moment. There was just no way. And I had a friend tell me once it was a girlfriend. She goes, you can never say that. I'm like, I can, because I knew that if I, at that point, I thought if I am pregnant, I'm not going to remain pregnant. <laughs> That's just not an option for me. And so, uh, I had that luxury, you know, I had that privilege yeah. and to, I can't imagine what it would be like for a young woman to, to be growing up in this country and think I can't do that. I mean, it was, it was just something that I, I don't want to say that I took it for granted, but I did in that I just, you know, I knew it was available to me and it doesn't mean I wasn't careful or, or responsible, which Republicans love to, you know, pretend I, it makes me so angry. And I'm going to say this again and again and again, when I hear the Republic and it's mostly Republicans say that, uh, abortion is used as birth control. And it's like, abortion is literally birth control. So yes, it is used as birth control. Um, but it's not something that is a fun thing that we all want to do because it's fun. We, what we think is fun is having control over our lives and each person is going to handle if they, if they choose to have an abortion, each person, like there will be some people it's absolutely devastating and other people, they're just so fucking relieved. And there's, there's absolutely, you know, I mean, I hate it when I hear people say, Oh, it's a really hard choice for some people. It's not a hard choice at all. So like for me, it would have not been fun. I, I, and mainly because of the physical part of it, um, the mental part of it, even though I was not going to have a child, absolutely not going to have one, I'm sure mm -hmm. I would go back and think, oh, if I would have had that kid, that kid would have been X years old right now or whatever. And I might have a little bit of a wistful feeling, but I don't think I would have ever regretted it because I didn't want to do it. So it's yeah. like, you know, and, and I didn't have the means at, at the time that I thought I was pregnant to do it. So it, it, it was, it's like, you know, it's not about, oh, this is the hardest decision a person's ever going to make. No, sometimes it's the very easiest decision they'll ever make. And they're not going to be crying about it all. Some people are going to cry about it, but that's their own personal thing. And to what? know that it's been available my entire life. And now, now that I'm old and I'm not, I don't have to worry about getting pregnant anymore. Um, I do care very much for all these young people living in states where they're not even you know, allowed to drive to another state to get it done because they're being monitored. So, yeah, I just think all of this is going to bite them in the ass. And I just I just really hope that when I'm going to go ahead and say when Democrats win the trifecta, <laughs> all of them, that they're going to pass the Voting Rights Act, get rid of the gerrymandering. And um, now I can't remember the third one, but it, do the things that, oh, I know, assault rifle, uh, assault weapons ban. If we can do that and then somehow, I don't know how, what we would have to do to codify abortion rights. I don't know, in the Constitution, I don't know if it would be a constitutional amendment. That, sure. would, be, that would be a lot harder to achieve than, you know, passing the voting rights. But still, we could do it. So I, th I think that um, there's a lot to be hopeful for. And I think what, you know, you were talking about the beginning of the show, the mm. GOP has a really hard climb up. You know, they're, they're going up a mountain. They don't have all the gear. I think we're like looking down at them waving. But we have to remember that we can't take anything for granted. So don't be happy. Don't get happy. But be happy for what we saw happen yeah. on Tuesday. Use that energy to motivate you. Make those calls. 
when when elections are here make the calls it's fun be a part of it and fred it's it's really cool talking to you You have a different perspective not different different but it's it's kind of like uh you're different than some of my other guests in in what you do so i appreciate your perspective and i really love hearing that the gop is (laughs) can't afford 2024 that just makes me so happy Oh, they're, they're, they're in trouble. I mean, they they're are, in trouble. I, they are, I mean, you look at state after state, yeah. state parties are broke. Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome. And they fucking deserve it because they are oh, yeah, just they horrible, do. horrible, horrible. And you know, they put all their, they gave it all. They, like you said, they gave their press to Trump and Trump has just taken it for himself. So anyway, I think that, I think that there's a lot that we can take from what happened this week and feel really good about it and move into, you know, the holiday season feeling pretty good. And, yes. you know, we'll just start working really hard in 2024. But Frederick, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely a joy talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I love it. We, we should do it again sometime. Yes, we will. And before I let you go, uh, tell people where they can find you on social media. So the only place you can really find me now, if, unless you find me on Facebook, uh, is Foutable. Uh, it's at Lazarus Durden, so uh, or Frederick Pogue, if you can search me that way. I've I've kind of never been a Twitter guy, or I might I might be popping over at Threads. I mean, Bob okay. keeps nudging me. I know. Yeah, so, well, we're both over there, and I yeah. I am linking your Spoutable in the Patreon description of the show, so it's going to be there. If you're if you're still on Facebook, which I am. Uh, Frederick is one of my friends, so you can look him up, you know, on my friends list. Uh, so I am on Twitter. I have a pinned tweet. It's got all my socials. You can find me there until I'm not on Twitter anymore. And uh, once again, Frederick, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Pleasure. Pleasure.